Welcome to Talk the Dog, the show where we find a bone to pick and a take to give. These are not hot takes. These is dog takes. Can I talk that dog? Shut up and grab some tape. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in on a Wednesday. We do it every Tuesday, every Wednesday, hot off the pressers today. Player availability only, only at the University of Georgia. No Kirby Smart today, um, as per usual, on a Wednesday. So we got to talk to uh, Marcus Rosimi Jack Saint, or as he is shall now be known on the channel as Rojack. Okay, apparently Marcus Rosimi Jack Saint, a little too long. Uh, there was, he tweeted it out today. We got our, it was last Saturday, I think it was, after the game. Someone said, we need a nickname for Marcus Rossimi Jack Saint, a little too lengthy. He quote tweeted it and said, Rojack. So, Rojack it shall be here on the network henceforth. Um, so, yeah, we got to know that. But you guys know I love talking to Cedric Van Pran. Um, always get to learn a lot from him. Um, I, I don't, he's a major in art. And maybe he makes millions of dollars as an artist when he's done making millions of dollars as a football player presumably. But if that dude don't coach football in, in, in you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, whenever it's available to him, um, I, I think it would be, uh, you know, not necessarily a shame, but I think it would be a shock to me. That dude, listening to him talk, obviously very professional, but just a leader of men, okay? 100% a leader of men. And just listening to the, the terminology he uses, okay? Uh, he was asked about Jared Wilson and asked about Dylan Fairchild and asked about uh, the backup centers and, and, and Drew Bobo and how he helps those guys learn the skill set that is playing center in college and the, the, the terminology, individual skill set. That's what he said. He said, I reach them on their individual skill sets. I identify what they are good at, what they are bad at, very detailed answer, okay? What they're good at, what they are bad at, and then I reach them on that individual skill set. They might be good here, and I might be good here, that, but, that, but with those differences, we might be different in that area, right? I might be good at something, they might be good at something, and then I help them where they're bad and try to take from them where they're good, essentially, um, as a football player. Uh, he was asked about crowd noise. Hit us with another key term right here, right? Having one set of eyes. He said that's the key to be to identify what's going on and communicating non-verbally on the road as an offense. We, meaning we have to be able to look at a defense, okay, and all of us be trained equally and have the same knowledge to where we look at it. We all have one set of eyes together, meaning we all take in the information evenly and disperse of it with, or, you know, and make decisions based off of it uh, as a unit, right? We all look at it with the same set of eyes. And that's how you have a, a, an ability to have nonverbal communication when you're on the road in a chaotic environment. I've always heard, you know, experience helps, like, you know, uh, ha having thousands of reps and, and knowing what the guy next to you is going to do, all this stuff. And just knowing your assignments, never thought of it as like a, hey, we all have to be able to look at one thing, look at the same picture and say, this is what we're doing because we're not going to be able to over communicate it um, and be able to hear uh, accurately all that, you know, all that good stuff. And then he was asked about um, Marcus or Simi Jackson was asked or Rojack, excuse me, Rojack was asked about, uh, you know, leaders that he calls upon or leaders that he leans upon uh, on this roster. And one of the first names he mentioned was Cedric Van Pran Granger. Obviously, SVP turned that back around on Rojack and said, actually, he's one of the guys that I lean on. He's one of the guys that I go to uh, for, for vo a vocal presence during times of whatever, when, whenever we need those bits of uh, voices in our locker room. Uh, and, and, and called back a moment, I believe, during the, uh, uh, maybe during the SEC championship game or whatever it was. Um, but he mentioned, we all take turns. There's not like one voice in the locker room. We all take turns, and, and, and there's a, a, a kind of a, a pass the rock type of deal. Rojack was asked about explosives, and I'm sitting there kind of listening, asking my questions, preparing my questions, and then he's asking about explosives, and I, just, I had a random thought in my head. Um, how many times have we seen this year, now I know the run after the catch has been good, but it's been like Brock Bowers breaking tackles, running after the catch, receiver run after the catch this year has been quarterback threw us to grass, okay, we're running after the catch, correct? We would all agree there? Yeah. Okay. What I haven't seen this year and what I think is a major portion of run after the catch is 
wide receiver catches the ball, makes one man miss, outruns another, makes an incredible individual effort, takes it 60 for an explosives, right? Um, deep balls are important in these metrics, right? In the explosive metric stats and all that good stuff. Deep balls are important. But we told you last night when we listened to Terrence tell us, right? How many times a game are you really throwing the ball deep, okay? About once a quarter. That's really all you're doing because, and even I, I listened to a podcast today, Jordan Palmer, a brilliant quarterback mine, was on Rosillo today talking about three to five, maybe, maybe three to five throws a game that are really going to be big, massive chunk plays. We've got to hit those, right? But it's not that many. And if we're only going to have three or four opportunities to throw the ball deep offensively, that, if that's what schematics of football really tell us over time, that's how most offenses are formulated. Well, if you're only going to have four explosive, meaning if that's all you're going to rely on to be explosive as an offense, then if you just hit those, if you're 100% on your deep balls, like you're only going to have four or five explosives a game, and that alone is going to put you at the very bottom of explosive metrics. The teams that lead the nation in explosive metrics are around 9, 10, 11, 12 explosives a game. They're really getting a lot of chunk plays almost uh, double-digit chunk plays in a singular game. How are they doing that if they're only taking four or five, maybe six shots downfield a game? Well, there's your answer. They are elite in the runs after the catch. They are making individual efforts out on the edge in space, making people miss. In other words, as we talk about on this network, taking care of the plus one, taking care of the plus one defender, the guy that is your job to beat. Okay, we've beaten all the other 10 guys by schematics or by effort plays or by blocks by our teammates. We've got to take care of the other individual efforts by ourselves. Apart from Bowers, guys, I don't think anybody at that room Marcus had a great one of these. The other day, caught a hitch, right? Made the corner miss, took about 40 down the sideline. That, more of those, more of those throughout the football game, I think is a key outside of just, hey, we got to hit our shots. Duh, we got to hit our shots, but we got to be explosive after the catch. That makes me think about the 2020 Alabama offense because they really weren't taking deep shots. Like Jamison Williams, John Mechie, and all those guys, it wasn't because they were 50 yards down the field and Mac Jones threw it to him. It was like, how many times would people say, like, they're just running slants and Devontae Smith or any mm -hmm. of those guys are taking it 40 yards down the field, making a guy miss? Dude, two in the RPO slant. Oh, my God. I know a lot of SEC fans make fun of Georgia and Jake Fromm for being slant kings, but, like, the RPO slant – Oh, so the number two or number three receiver over the middle of the field was like a massive explosive play for Alabama for years on end. Yeah, I mean, you're correct. It's, it's a problem now too. Look at Miami. Tyreek Hill's killing people with yeah. that. So that that intermediate run after mm -hmm. the catch game. Um, again, Bowers is doing it, and I think we've seen some examples of Dom Lovett look relatively good after the catch, mm -hmm. okay? But, again, a lot of those are, hey, we've ran you to grass. We're throwing mm -hmm. you to grass. Not, okay, now, once we threw you to grass, boom, we made a safety miss, okay, and then we outran the corner with the angle. Those are the things right now I think are kind of missing on top of, yes, we want to be 100%. We want to hit every single one of our deep balls. Ideally, yes, of course, but uh, it's more than that. Welcome into tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. We're going to talk about what it's going to take uh, for uh, Auburn to get some type of advantage. Man, it's been some crazy football games out there in Jordan-Hare. We're going to talk a little bit about those, not to give anybody PTSD, but to be honest with you, for you Georgia fans watching tonight, it ain't you guys that got the PTSD. It's another football team that I'm going to talk about that goes into that you know jungle, if you will, as a heavy favorite and ends up getting smacked every once in a while. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. we got some other stuff going on. Uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, in the news today, well, in our news today, found a little nugget. Uh, and I like to learn from history. I don't know if you guys do. I like to look back. we got some time now to have salivated on that uh, little story of, you know, one of the greater quarterbacks to ever come out of the state of Georgia not playing for the University of Georgia. So I went back. I didn't – we're going to talk about it. I didn't do a lot of covering the University of Georgia or watching the University of Georgia during that time period. Um, and I wanted to study. I wanted to go back and learn. And I think I learned some things, not only about him, but about your football program and, and how your coach operates. So welcome in. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, and rate, and review. And I will tell you, a little breaking news. We got to get a breaking news sounder. A little ding, 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 ding. A little breaking news. This is the last show of the week. We will not be on tomorrow because Friday night's mic got moved up. Okay, we don't travel out of state very often on Friday night's mic. It's kind of UGA or Georgia-centric. Um, but there is an absolute slobber knocker out in the state of Alabama tomorrow night. Okay, Thompson High School defending multi, multi. State champion out there is going to play Clay Chalkville. Okay, it's going to be on ESPN. Your boy's going to be on the sideline uh, doing a little Friday night's mic. So we're going to take tomorrow night off um, and do Friday night's mic Thursday night style over there in Beham. We're going to take a little trip down I-20. 
to Birmingham. We're going to spend two day, three days, three days in the state of Alabama. I might come back with a little twang. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. I'm going to spit some, some backy a little bit more than I ought to do. Um, how about that, Tad? Um, just kidding. Anyways, uh, yeah, got a load of show for you guys. Make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button, like, and subscribe, and rate, review, and all that good stuff. We've had a great week of, of content on here, as we always do. want to give a quick shout-out. Don't know why I pointed at my helmet. Wish the other helmet was here. Uh, to the friends at Prize Picks. Okay, use the promo code Brooks today. You'll get a 100% deposit match over there. So make sure you're doing that. Hey, Georgia is a – oh, I want to talk about this. Um, I, I, I was listening to Cedric talk today and man's kept referencing film 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 sawn on film and then he did the thing that i i know you're doing if you do this as a football player i know you're consumed in film you ready he started talking about the opponent and he started rattling off numbers 99 50 52 5 the, the nickel he's really really good they start doing this i know you are heavily invested in the film Okay, and I, I can report this because I, I, I didn't ask it in the room, but I asked it right there in front of Claude out. So I don't want to have any type of USC investigations. I don't want to get suspended for asking a question outside of uh, media availability. It was technically out of media availability, but everybody was around me. So I want to preface that by saying this. Asked him, how, how much film are you watching every week? That's all I asked. Five, five and a half hours outside the building. Outside the building, he's spending five to five and a half hours watching film. And you can tell. You can 100% tell his eyes are quicker than most people. Uh, he's in the right spot at, at, at the right time. He speaks like someone who is heavily invested in, in playing football. It's another one of those reasons why I think man's going to get back in the game. Like he's going to play it for a while, and then he's, getting, I, he's got to pour back. He's got to. Um, and I, I, feel, I feel some of that pull sometimes myself, but not at this level. This dude's a, a, a different kind of being. Um, I love just being in the room with the dude. Not to keep galvanizing around it, but have you, you guys have been in rooms around Cedric, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Different, different human. You feel his, One, you feel his presence yep, as a football player. There it is. It's like whoa, you can feel the knowledge like coming off of him. I think uh, knowledge, brilliance, leadership. Um, one of the other people that brought a different vibe, but like a, noti a noticeable, like, holy crap, mm -hmm. that dude's in the room. Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis yeah, had yeah. one of these. Jordan Davis had one of these that made everyone in the room want to smile and everyone in the room want to give him a hug. Uh, and everyone in the room want to be nicer to other people. Every time I was around Jordan, I felt like I, was, I, I needed to be better to other people because of the way he was to other people around him. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of behind the scenes for you guys. I know you guys love the University of Georgia, um, and I love getting to cover them because I, I, I truly do enjoy a lot of the individuals, um, all of the individuals I've been privy to uh, from a football player's perspective. A lot of tremendous, tremendous humans um, that we get to cover. So shouts out to those guys. Hey, 14 and a half points. I think it should be 21, 21 and a half point favorites this weekend on the road at Auburn. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, they haven't, they haven't, we told you last night the stats of offensively how bad they are. When football teams are this anemic on offense, I never think they have a chance against Georgia. I don't care if it's played on Jupiter. Okay. If you got this anemic of an offense against power five football teams, there is no telling what George is going to do to you, okay? Y'all, someone can try to poke holes in Georgia defensively. I watch them on tape and go, holy hell. So, I don't know what tape other people are watching. I think they're doing that box score thing. I think that thing's lying to you, too. Okay, with regards to how good they are this year versus how good they were in years past, um, this is a really, really, really good defense. Um, this is a really, really bad Auburn offense. So, that being said, we all in this room, for all, for all intents and purposes, believe Georgia is going to handle this football game, all right? Now, that being said, what would it take for them not to handle this football game? That is the premise of this segment that we are coming up with right now. What will it take for Auburn to come out victorious in this football game? I'm going to tell you, it's simple. It's Jordan Hair magic. And I don't understand how it works. I don't know how to explain it to you. Um, but you're going to need to steal, if you're Auburn, a few, a few wild possessions on Saturday. And I'm not talking about your standard middle-of-the-field interceptions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jordan Hare interceptions. I'm talking about, oh, damn, Georgia was at the five, threw a pick, and it was six the other way. So we got a 14-point swing and a 94-yard uh, you know, field position swing instantly. Okay, those types of interceptions. I'm not talking about muff punts. I'm talking about muff punts, muff punts inside the 10. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about Jordan Hare 
types of turnovers, types of scary magic types of stuff. 14-point swingers, immediately, that's what I'm talking about, okay? Think about all of the massive games. If you are a college football historian, and listen to this right now, think about all of the historic Auburn had no chance pregame to win that football game. They come out somehow, make it a sweater or worse, win the damn game as multi, multi-touchdown underdogs, okay? And to be honest with you, Georgia fans, you might not feel this. They ain't really quite on quite or quote unquote snuck up on Georgia in quite some time. I think the only time they've had one of these Jordan Hare magic tricks was 2013, the prayer of Jordan Hare. It's so famous, it's got its own name. Trey Matthews did his thing, didn't blow, uh, knock the ball down, knocked it up. Uh, ooh, well, there you go, running into the end zone. They end up winning the football game. Aaron Murray damn near dies trying to score at the end, right? We all know it. Y'all all know how that one ended. But that's really about the only one that Georgia goes in as a prohibitive, you know, favorite or someone who should win the football game, and they don't. All right, there's the 2017 where you get blown out, but that wasn't really like sneaky. That wasn't Jordan Hare Magic. They beat you that day, right? And there's a couple of examples of those in their history. But in their recent history, as massive underdogs playing teams that are far, far better than them, there are examples of, uh, of some crazy, crazy stuff going on. You guys remember in 2021, Georgia fans might because you had the Georgia Tech game that week. And what you guys do normally is you go watch the Iron Bowl, okay? So you remember how it operated. Auburn gave a, or Auburn damn near sacked Bryce Young or did sack Bryce Young 11 times in that football game, right? They gave him a sweater, all right? They, they, they hold Alabama to 10 points or 14 points in the regular or in the uh, in regulation, okay? And make them force them to beat him in uh, quadru- or a double overtime in that football game, right? Bama gave up 11 sacks, defensive-led performance for sure, right? Offense, T.J. Finley, super anemic in that football game. Does that sound familiar? Defense had to hold them for four quarters. Energy, juice, stadium, getting them through. Okay, all the depth issues, all the concerns. Okay, 2021, they damn near got Bama. 2019, the last time or before that, uh, the Iron Bowl was in Alabama. They went a game 48 to 45, and they have these Jordan Hare magical, uh, not just interceptions, I'm talking about oh, yeah. stupid, crazy interceptions. Two pick sixes for Mac Jones in that football game. Mac Jones' first kind of real start in that game. Okay, they are outgained in that football game is Auburn 515 yards to 354. Alabama had the ball almost 36 minutes in that football game and lost. Okay, that's the type of scary magic that can be available this weekend for Auburn. These were all bad football teams in 2017. I'll give you credit. They were a good football team. This is the last time Auburn won a game as a severe underdog at their house in one of these scary magic games. Um, that 2017, they beat Alabama and Georgia at home, and they were a good, good football team. Okay, so there is Jordan Hare magic to be available, but this is a bad, bad Auburn team, and they're going to need all that magic. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think about it. There's never been a Kirby Smart, <laughs> a Kirby Smart team to lose to a team that just doesn't have an offense. It's always been high flying, high powered offenses. Bro, you got the chicken. You got the chicken tenderloins in the in yeah, the fridge. Yeah, I got chicken cause? in the fridge. What's wrong with that? That's wild, bro. I got post game meal, bro. Post game meal. Post game meal. You know, speaking of post game meal, no, that's too off topic. Never no, mind. go ahead. So I was watching this video, and it was the players' lounge interviews with I think it was by all means. Jackson Meeks, um, mm-hmm. Kamari Lasseter, and someone else was in there. I can't remember. Jackson, they were asking about what was your favorite postgame meal, and Kamari Lasseter says he eats Waffle House and he gets smothered, covered, traditional, all that good stuff. Jackson Meeks says he doesn't eat after games, but that if he does, he eats pasta. And he said he learned this from Ad Mitchell: you put honey in your pasta. Yo, that's wild. Two things: not eating after the game. Are you insane? That's what they were like, bro. You like that's eat. when you got to grind. He said, "I ain't hungry after the game." He's, but yeah, he, he says he puts what, honey in his pasta. He was eating too much on the field, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Um, that, yo, that's wild. The Waffle House is a go-to. Everyone knows that. Um, I like a good moist Chick-fil-A that's been sitting in that, that, that wrapper for like a good – I like two or three of them. Like after a game, I'm, I'm scarfing. Yeah, there's nothing No better. sauce needed either. Yeah. I'm, I'm straight to the dome. Post-game meals where you're, like, you're hungry or you'll eat anything and you'll eat a cold Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. sandwich – that just hits different. Oh, it no, it, it definitely does. So what were we talking about before talking we got about, to this delicious Talking about topic. how Georgia's never really lost a game under Kirby Smart when a team has a terrible offense. Maybe if you go back to 2016 when they lost to Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. But since 2017, there's never been an instance where I can think 
they lost that game despite having their opponent had a terrible you know, offense. Kirby Smart kind of set the tone for this rivalry in 2016. Georgia was the underdog when they came to play Georgia in Sanford Stadium. Mm-hmm. And they basically – or no, they won the game because Marie Smith, a transfer from Alabama – Caught a pick six, and that was the only touchdown Georgia scored that game. I think the final score was like ten to seven or something like that. Thirteen to seven. I think the final score was thirteen to seven. And mm. so you're talking about bad offenses, especially bad Auburn offenses. They have never gotten Kirby Smart or Georgia. I mean, again, recipe for success for Auburn, it ha- it has to be that. It has to be fourteen to ten. Like it has to be absolutely just ugly. Drag them into the swamp and just sit on them, and that's it. You know, run, 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 punt. Run, 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 punt. I mean, and design up a, a, an absolute winner every once in a while. Here's the thing. I went back and watched the A&M game this morning. Or not all of it, but I, I went and watched some of it because, whew, it was dreadful to watch. How many times um, did you watch the Jimbo play? Not that many. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, went, went, I went looking for one thing in particular because I heard Hugh Freeze say it after the game. We got to find a quarterback to hit the guys open because there were guys out there running open. So I went looking for guys running open, and there were some guys running open. So Texas A&M pressured them and pressured them highly or, or you know, successfully. I, I wonder how much Georgia is going to be able to get after them Saturday. Um, but I, I don't think it matters because it sounds like – I mean, they got they, it got so bad that they were see, obviously seeing guys run into grass from the box so much that Holden Garner got in there, the, the, the sophomore, the third string. I mean, they, yeah, they, are, I they are reaching for straws at this point at Auburn when it comes to quarterback play. So it's not just everything around them is not great. It's the position is bad. The position at quarterback, the play, the play at the position is really, really bad. So that being said, if you're going to play some type of 14 to 10 game, if you're going to play some type of 17 to 12 sweater and get out of here with the win being Auburn, um, and, and if George is going to lose this game, which I think if I were to set a probability at this happening, I'll put it at like, I think Georgia's got a 92.9% chance of winning this football game. That set was at 7.1. That 7.1% chance lies in this quick math. Um, that 7.1% chance lies in this. I do think Auburn runs a ton of zone defense. That's why they're turning teams over so much. Tipped passes, mm-hmm. um, confused looks for the quarterback, a lot of patting the ball, um, stuff like that. So uh, I think crowd noise early. Maybe you throw a bunch of confusing looks, zone pressures, okay? Make sure the quarterback not only doesn't know who's coming, but where they're coming from and, and where the replacements are, right? Zone, zone blitzes, if you play a lot of Madden, zone blitzes are a lot of, hey, we're going to bring pressure from the left or from the right or from the middle, right? And we're going to replace that coverage, if you will, with the other side, right? We're going we're gonna to essentially slide all the zone coverages and all the zone blitz and pressures that way. It's not like man pressure. Man pressure is the guys nearest the box are coming. Everybody outside the box is going to guard whoever they're standing in front of, right? Zone blitzes are very much so. I'm bringing pressure here, and I'm replacing the coverage there. So a lot of window changing, if you will. So if I'm going to take a quarterback who is trying to play on the road for the first time, going to bring a lot of zone pressures, going to try to confuse him that way while also getting home. Getting home is important. So if, if Georgia can't protect early, that's something that I would be concerned about. Concerned about in general. If you can't protect the quarterback, it's something you need to be concerned about. But that's my recipe. Be as complex as you possibly can from the very get-go of the football game. And obviously, as a home underdog like Missouri last year, I think not only do you need a bunch of turnovers in this football game, you need them early. You need them like first, second possession to get some mo and get some, get some points on the board. What is the recipe for you guys? You want so, it? You want oh, it? You're going first. All right. One of the things that I put was Auburn has to get pressure on Carson Beck because on top of playing zones, you got to get pressure on him. But kind of like you said, and not necessarily know where the pressure is coming from, make him feel a little rattled in the pocket to where he does not feel comfortable to just stand there and sit in the pocket. And then Peyton Thorne needs a career day, or at least one of their quarterbacks. If they do make the switch to Robbie Ashford or Peyton Thorne ends up, ends up being the guy to go for it, they got to play dang near perfect. I said Auburn needs at least two are you kidding me plays. Are you kidding me plays like in 2019 when Alabama lost. One of those Mac Jones interceptions, if you remember, they were in the red zone, and he threw it off a guy's back, and mm-hmm. that's what the pick six led to. You need plays like that where you just go, are you kidding me? How did that happen? Auburn needs two of those to win. And then obviously get a short field off turnovers. you got to stop Georgia in the red zone, make them settle for field goals, things such as that the basics but it's always the are you kidding me plays that make a difference kick six prayer jordan hair things like that where you just go there's no way that play should happen and it always only have one of those 
I know we're I know we're the young show, by the way. So I know you know mm -hmm. people listening to this are not going to know it, but or are going to know it, and they're going to get onto us. Are there multiple of those in, in Georgia's history? Like against Bill against them? They're against Auburn. Oh, against Auburn. I'm against talking Auburn? about like like plays plays like the prayer of Jordan Hare against Auburn. I know I mean, you obviously have the the should have spiked it against Alabama in that SEC championship game. I know you have the uh, Tyler Simmons was on sides. I know you have the t the the Tennessee Hail Mary. I know you have the second and twenty six. Those were the same game. Y'all have some of these, but it's the only one against Auburn. Yeah, it's, it is really. I mean, because you think about it, Auburn's beaten Georgia twice since two thousand ten. Once in 2010 when they had Cam Newton, so and they weren't a good team that year either, so obviously they were going to win that. And then 2013 when they when Georgia came back, and then other than that, they hadn't won since a while, I don't think. So I know Deion Sanders kind of reset the market for uh, college coaches' innovations with his uh, speakers rolling around at practice uh, last week before the Oregon game. But, uh, dude, I've been up there the last two days for media availability. Bro, like, y'all know where that little elementary school is across from Butts, yeah, yeah. How far from the indoor do you think that is? Probably that's, 800 yards? Oh, um, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. About that 800 sounds, yards. Yeah, that sounds about right. Right? Um, so, so incredibly loud. Apparently they so blew the speakers loud. They did. They blew the speakers. Kirby already had it. He blew them last week, by the way. Mm. They've been doing crowd noise, he said periodically, but this is the first time I've, I've kind of heard it. Um, and they've been doing it every day this week. Dude, I I asked Marcus Rasumi Jack Saint Rojack. You're making it even longer. I know. Now. <laughs> Did I know. you say the full name? Marcus Rasumi Jack Saint Rojack. Uh, I asked or I asked Rojack about it. Like, hey, uh, in comparisons, how loud is that indoor when he cranks that thing up in comparison to other stadiums? And he said it's the loudest thing he's ever been in. Like, it's so loud. I can't explain to you how loud it is. Like, it sounds. It sounds like you're standing next to Sanford Stadium from 800 yards away. That's what it sounds like. And they're enclosed. So all I'm hearing it through is like whatever door is left open, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so it's nuts. They're going to be prepared for the noise. And, and Kirby mentioned this. They'll be prepared for the noise. What they don't know if they're going to be prepared for is the noise and the live bullets. Because I texted mm -hmm. you guys this today. I don't care how good Georgia's, uh, you know, Second team unit is, and, and how it is talked about. They have the best scout team in the country. We all know this, right? They got guys like Raylan Wilson probably down there taking reps on the scout team defense. That's nuts, okay? They got, they got guys, dudes, Damon Wilson out there taking reps, okay, against the, or for the scout team. We know this. They're, they're as loaded as can be, and they're probably as good with their two and three deep. It's, it's really the three and fours. They're probably as good with their three and fours right now defensively as Auburn looks on paper defensively. Okay, that's not a wild statement. I don't think that's crazy. They, they've recruited. They're turning their roster over. That's, it might not be that statement two years from now, but it is right now. But I can't, I can't explain to you, and I'll try, but that's my job. They might be great on, on scout team. But as good as that scout team can possibly give a look, they can give 110% in that building this week under that crowd noise. It's only possibly going to be about 85 to 90% the look that they're going to get on Saturday when the bullets are flying. Because guess what? What you can't simulate, and what I've always failed to, to be able to quantify, and you'll never be able to quantify, is the juice that those four guys get, those six guys get in that box that play that kind of brand of football, that war, in that box is a different game than what those dudes play out in space. I can't simulate the juice those dudes get from 89,000 people screaming their damn head off. I, I cannot ever simulate that. And you know who else doesn't have it? The Damon Wilson getting a, a jump off the edge just because it's loud as shit in the building. Just because he's out there getting pumped in fake crowd noise doesn't mean he's got the juice that number nine's going to have from Auburn on Saturday or number 99 or number five. So that's the answer. We can pump as much fake crowd noise as we want in there. What's it going to be like when that dude's got all that juice and all that energy coming off the edge and, and you got a different you know, kind of timing with you because the snap count's different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, <clears throat> that's kind of a given because if, if this crowd noise... If simulating crowd noise made home field advantage just completely ineffective, you wouldn't have home field advantage. So you see it Correct. most every time. There's teams that handle it better. I think Georgia does handle being on the road better than some teams. But like you said, when when the bullets start flying and you're going against other guys and you're like, oh, wait, this isn't practicing where this is the real deal, 
there is that mental block that you have to get over just a little bit. All right, which historical story do we want to talk about first? Uh, Kirby punching a locker or Trevor Lawrence? I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence because I found some interesting stuff. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right, so I don't know how you want to do this. You want to hold your stuff or do you want to throw your hand up in the middle of my stuff uh, to, <laughs> to give me your stuff? This is probably just something good to add at the end, I would say. This is something good to add at the end. Mm-hmm. So you're going to hold your stuff till the end. All I'll right. hold my stuff. Just hold your stuff over there. All right, so... The Trevor Lawrence story. I told you. I, I, I always, I wasn't, well, I was, I was messing around on YouTube. So here's how my job works. I'm always scanning the internet for news, no, uh, notes, things to write about, things to talk about. That's my job. So if you want to ever facilitate and give me a little alley-oop, hey, my Instagram DMs are open. My Twitter are not. So this is the same one. So if you ever find something that should be covered, I shouldn't have done that. Um, just, hey, hit me up. Hey, well, check this out. This is a cool story. One of these. I'm scrolling through YouTube today, and my feed hits me with a, a video from The Pivot, okay? It's our guy Fred Taylor sitting down uh, in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, okay? And there, it, the title says, what, Trevor Lawrence explains why he chose Clemson. So immediately, I'm like, let's go check that out, right? This interview was about a month ago. I believe, or maybe before the season, right before the season, things like that, okay? And, uh, of course, I, at this time, all right, I, I'm in college, okay, when he commits to the University of Georgia. I'm not somebody who's covering UGA. I'm, I'm not someone who's watching UGA. I'm not someone who's plugged into UGA. I'm just a, a person and watching football every once in a while, right? So I'm not a historian of the program at this point. Uh, you guys that have been following me for a while, y'all know this. I kind of got introduced to you, whether it be 2019, 2020, 2021, whenever you found us, it wasn't back then. It wasn't back then. So uh, I, I was very new to this topic or very ignorant to this topic today uh, when I found it. So I start looking around, right? I start looking for things to learn from this experience because that's what you do from history, right? You, you try to learn from it. You try to take from it, uh, to look at it, observe it from a distance, and then see, hey, has there been any growth? Is there any learning thing? Or is there anything we can learn from this process, right? Is there any growth, learning, and of course, Theories. I think one thing that's cool about history is you get a bunch of theories about history, right? Everybody's got their own uh, spice. Everybody's got their own thoughts. Everybody's got their own theory about history. That's kind of how it works. As it gets older, the fish gets bigger, the theory gets broader, right? No different than anything else that you find, uh, you know, outside of the sporting world. So, We've seen theories about why Trevor Lawrence didn't come to the University of Georgia, right? I saw on the internet today, there was apparently some weird interaction with Brian Schottenheimer, the Georgia fan base tells me, right? Apparently there was, uh, you know, obviously there was the turnover between Mark Rick and Kirby Smart. You remember, you know, there, there, there was a timeline issue here, really. It was kind of really, really uh, difficult uh, for Georgia to land this for a variety of reasons, and I'm going to lay it out right here in my opinion, right? Kirby really only had a, a year to recruit the kid. If you remember, Kirby gets hired in December of 2015. Trevor Lawrence commits in 2016. Okay, so in December of 15, Kirby's hired. Jake Fromm commits to the University of Georgia in March of 2016. Obviously, Jacob Eason's on the roster. It's real, uh, you know, con- uh, congested, if you will, right? T-Law wraps up his commitment in December of 2016, and then you guys at the University of Georgia land Justin Fields in 17. So think about that. Fromm in March of 16. Uh, T-Law in December of 16, Justin Fields in December of 17. A lot of stuff going on right there. It's an extremely crowded situation. But as we've learned from history, flash forward, let's be honest about things. The quarterback room, as we've learned, it was crowded then from the day the dude stepped in the uh, front door to now. That's a bitch crowded as it ever was right now at that quarterback room. So no matter what, we have learned from history right now, point one, Georgia going to have some quarterbacks, all right? And y'all going to be talking, and y'all going to be worried. Y'all going to be thinking. Y'all going to be, oh, did we get the right one? Y'all going to have that as long as you're going to have Kirby Smart. But, hey, that's a pretty damn good problem to have, I would imagine, uh, if you've been in situations where quarterback play is an issue, like we've seen across the country, um, you know, at the quarterback room. So that's the reality of the situation. That's what we've learned. But in regards to this one, okay, in regards to the miss on Trevor Lawrence, um, I think this one's really, really simple, and it stood out pretty glaring, glaringly to me um, today when I heard this specific soundbite um, from Trevor Lawrence in this interview. Play this clip for me, Jay Will. I mean, I, the position I was in, I was a big recruit, so I was treated well. But I, I think the, you know, the underlying, the beliefs, the way the two programs kind of went about their business, the way they carried themselves, I think they were a little bit different. You know, I had a great relationship with Coach Smart. 
actually just saw him two weeks ago in the Bahamas, like ran into him. We caught up and, you know, I hadn't talked to him since high school, but had a great relationship with him and with Coach Sweeney. What it came down to for me was just the people, the rest of the people, everybody, all in all. I felt like at the time, and who knows, Georgia's obviously built something special, so it's, it's, it's worked for him. But I felt like at the time to go with who I am and the way I kind of wanted my career to go and especially the people I wanted to surround myself with, I, I felt like Clemson was the right place for me. And it's interesting you ask because I think that that goes back into my faith journey as well. I think God kind of, he kind of orchestrated my steps before I knew it. Because when I was deciding, you know, I felt really good about both schools. And I just felt something about Clemson, but I really couldn't put my... All right, so long clip, but I want to isolate one quote here. Okay, I want to isolate one quote. But I felt like at the time to go with who I am and the way I kind of wanted my career to go, and especially the people I want to surround myself with, I felt like Clemson was the right place for me. Trevor is always has been and was a very unique young man okay his recruitment prioritized faith family and then football in that order faith family and then football and i'm not saying kirby smart and his program are not religious i'm just telling you that kirby smart and his program don't talk about nil as if you know they built the name image and likeness off of him right that we know we know that Dabo Sweeney is very, very religious. We know that. He is forthcoming with that and out front. We don't know those things about Kirby because he doesn't open us to that door. It's not prioritized. Exactly. It's not prioritized in his program as much as it is, as it is that one. But it's beside that point, really, right? The point is, in 2016 and in 2017, the University of Georgia, under the, the, the regime of Kirby Smart and under the helm of Kirby Smart, had a much much different vibe around the program and around the building than it does right now. If we're really going to learn from history, that's what we need to learn from. Listen, if you can, you can't see it. You saw it. If you can listen to it, he kind of has to, it's almost like he has to hold himself back from saying, I didn't really want to be in that environment. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can see it in his tone and, and what he's saying and what the environment was at that time at the University of Georgia. Whew, it, it was all about, we got to prove ourselves, man. It was all about we got steps to take. It was all about fo football was the religion at the University of Georgia in 2016, guys. There was so much that he was trying to get accomplished and run, right? And, and we've kind of felt it. We've talked about it on this network. Not that there is a, 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 a rest on your laurels sense of feeling at the University of Georgia. That's not what it is. That's not what I'm saying. But he's far less of a psycho. I put it in my notes today. He's still a hard ass. But he's not an asshole. And I think there are two, there's a difference between that. There is a guy who walks around all day long, constantly worried about getting better, and there's a guy who just can't shut it off and can't be a little bit different and can't relate, right? He's always on go. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I, I, I guarantee you, if you would have walked into that building in 2016, you'd have been like, my God, this dude's a psycho. Oh, yeah. This dude is insane. And then you go from that building. As a, as, a, as a person who is prioritizing, again, faith, family, and football, you go from that building to taking a, a, a visit up there on the river to Clemson and, and Dabo's baptizing kids, and it's all about faith, family, and football, and it's relaxed, and it's laid back, and it's what we're doing at the Clemson way. Yeah, that kid is going to gravitate towards that, despite all the other stuff going on. The room in and of itself was not one that he probably needed to enter. Yeah, I mean, it's – the difference between a program that had been making the cultural playoff at that point, had a national title at that point, and compared to a program that was under head coaching change and was trying to get their program to that point where they can consistently be in the cultural playoff like Clemson was. What do you think Kirby's like at the Bahamas? I did forget that he let off with the fact that he saw him in the Bahamas a couple of weeks ago. Um, Kirby in the Bahamas. Andy Reacher, like big floral guy? No. <laughs> No. I'm thinking. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely I'm thinking a it's guy. The, I'm thinking it's the one time he wears a, a traditional baseball cap. I was about to say. Do you think he's still rocking the visor? No, I think he's going traditional baseball cap, thick sunglasses. Doesn't want to be recognized. Probably got a five o'clock shadow. Oh yeah, definitely hasn't shaved. Definitely mm. hasn't shaved. There. Hey, I will tell you this. I've, I've been an, in, an insider around the Georgia space long enough to know there are times of the year where Kirby like grows it out. Like grows it out. Yeah, yeah. Out. I've I've seen one picture of it, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, different. it's a different dude. It's a very different, different energy. I, I I think one day if we need to like throw up the red flags, if he like comes in and like starts a season with a full beard, 
because it's capable. Like, mm-hmm. I can't grow one. I'm going to tell you that right now. The rest of my life, you will not see me with facial hair unless I lost a bet or unless I'm donating to charity or something crazy, right? I will not be able to grow one. That man can grow one. He actively shaves daily. Like, that, that's yeah. something. I don't have to shave my face like that. Do y'all hate shaving your face? I hate it. It's tedious. Something's yeah. like, damn, I don't really want to do this. Yeah, I don't even. I, I, I hit it with the trimmer and, and the, the no guard trimmer, and I I'm done. You. I have the opinion of all hair is overrated, in my opinion. You'd just rather be a hairless cat. If everybody was hairless, it'd be all right. You know, nobody would judge you for it. Hair in general is overrated. If everyone were hairless, you'd be all right. Yeah. <laughs> you prefer a hairless world. No. Well, what I'm saying is, like, if everybody in general was already hairless, like, nobody would care what you look like hairless because that's what everybody looks like. That's a fair point. It's just overrated. That's a fair point. It's if nobody had clothes, no one would care about your style. It just inconveniences yeah. me. That's a good point. Interesting. That's very interesting. You want to talk about Kirby punching a locker? No, I want to talk about this real quick because okay. I had to save my. Oh, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You had to hold your stuff. So You've been I wanted to stuff. You've been holding yeah, stuff. Yeah, but hold Dump my stuff. stuff over here. Let all your right? stuff go. So I wanted to look. You might already know this because you kind of you you follow recruiting and whatnot. But I wanted to go back to the 2018 recruiting class, specifically the quarterbacks this year, just to see what that class looked like because knew about Justin Fields, knew about Trevor Lawrence. There's some this JT thing. JT Daniels. JT Daniels was right behind him. He was number three. Gatorade Player of the Year that year. Yeah, this um, class was loaded. But specifically in the back half of it, listen to listen to these names. Hold on, can I, let me see. If I, I'm trying to okay. think if I can guess it. Let's see if you can name a few of them. So we got the top three. Um, is there a Tyler Van Dyke in there? No, I did not see him. Anyways, go ahead, just give it to me. It's okay. way too old. Sam Hartman, 47th. Will oh. Levis, 49th. Brock Purdy, 50th. Zach Wilson, 53rd. Cameron Rising, 54th. Jordan Travis, 59th. Michael <laughs> Penix. Old. 66th, Trey Lance, 115th. Bro, people are having their heads blown off right now thinking. Listen to the names in front of them. So we already got JT Daniels. He's third. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. These guys are in their third year of the league. (laughs) (laughs) Some dude named Carson Yankoff at 13th. (laughs) Emory Jones at 16th. Adrian Martinez, 19th. Joe Milton, 34th. Devin Leary, 36th. Dude, half of those guys are still playing. Give me some names on some absolute duds. I guess yank off because you didn't you didn't give me any of the six or like four through ten. Four through ten must just Dude. have been absolute whiffers. It's a bunch of nobodies. Though. Yeah, that's crazy. Because um, we, we named two three guys there. I mean, JT Daniels is still playing college football, but we named half of them are still playing college football. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of those dudes still playing football. Um, but like Brock Purdy's the biggest NFL success in that list. All right, I'm just holy gonna... and Trevor, Trevor Lawrence and Brock Purdy, the biggest NFL successes. In yeah, that that's list. insane. That's crazy. I'm going to just go through the top 10. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, JT Daniels, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Oh, DTR. He's in the league with the Browns. Justin Rogers, who went to TCU. Don't know what he's doing now. Tanner McKee. Receiver. <laughs> Tanner McKee. No idea. Matt Corral. Jaron Williams. Phil Jerkovec. Emory Jones. Oh, he was the uh, he was the boss. Jaron Williams, Miami. Jaron Williams was Miami. Didn't Phil Jerkovic go to my, uh, Boston College? No, he went to Notre Dame. And then Boston College. Yeah. And then transferred to Boston Jacob oh, yeah. Sermon, Tyler Show, Jack Tuttle. Oh, that's Shuck. That's the uh, Oregon guy. All right, so bottom line, uh, I mean, half of those you just named were five stars, right? Yes. And most of them are high, highly mm-hmm. ranked four stars. Bottom line, you want to have a good time, and you want to be like, damn, they're not very good at their job. It's hard, but go back and read some of the quarterback rankings, dude. Holy hell. There is some bad takes up in that joint. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, very, very hard job. Now – Let's talk about Kirby Smart punching a locker. Um, shouts out to Reese Davis doing a podcast. Um, and also shouts out to Reese Davis for holding stories for five years and then dumping them on your podcast to get everybody to read them uh, or, or watch them. What should we do? Should I, should I hold some stories and just like one day be like, oh, yeah, by the way, yank, <laughs> this happened. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would be. I got a couple, but save they're, those, they're all like they're all like post-career in my biography stories. Because they're all kind of, you know, there's some scandalous things that go on, and they're fun, but I can't talk about them. Right. Until I'm, you know, ready to extinguish my career. Mm. So we'll have to wait for those days. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely stuff we'll be able to talk. And, like, the seasons are going to go on, and you're going to get more content. I think Maybe we're going to get into some stuff this week. I think Friday night in that Auburn, we might get into some stuff. Ooh. Oh. It's getting into stuff season. You know what I mean? Road trips are fun. I think it's the it's gonna be a good time to take take some road trips with you guys. We could start um, after our careers are finished later in our life. We could start another podcast called Off the Resume, and we just talk about stuff that happened that we couldn't talk about. 
<laughs> Jay Will's it's like play- a spinoff off the record. Jay Will's the playing a podcast 40 years in the future. I love that. I love that. Playing content. You're going to thank Will, me one day. Jay Will constantly playing in backup You're going to thank me one day when you're old and retired and you're like, I don't know what to do with my life. And then you're going to hit my line. I'm like, dude, we already got this podcast lined up. If, I got you, bro. If I make a career out of podcasting talking about sports, the last thing I want to do when I retire is do it again. You say that. Hey, your hair, I've seen your, your hair is naturally, naturally dark. Mm-hmm. But you got some, uh, you got some Ryan Day uh, uh, claims in the chat. Stick, you better be glad that I like you as a person, because otherwise I'd be Ryan coming Dye after you. Right? Man, that black curve behind you done that, do me that any hits good. me deep. Man, you you have extremely dark hair. It's it's not dyed. No, I've been around not. you for a long time. It's not dyed. In fact, I think I noticed a gray in it the other day. I do. Yeah. I do so it's moment. not. It's it's naturally just really really dark. Um, not that we're self-conscious about our hairlines or hair colors around here no. um, <clears throat> at all. None of us, right? No. No. Not at all. Not at all. Hey, Kirby Smart pushed the locker back in 2018. Let's talk about it. Uh, probably wasn't because of the receding hairline because it's, it's holding strong for the man. He must got good genetics. Lucky um, Lucky so him. they were talking about Ryan Day, obviously going after Lou Holtz and all that good stuff. Hurts. Um, going after the, the head man, the 86-year-old. And then, obviously, Wazoo's head coach went after Lee Corso this week. And I, I think that one kind of went by under the wayside. Not a lot of people talking about that one. Well, it's but, Wazoo. Yeah. Uh, what? It's Wazoo. Yeah, it's Wazoo. Uh, anyways, Reese Davis recalled a story, obviously talking about coaches and the emotion that they are going through. And what more emotional moment as a coach than losing a national title? Okay, and that is the moment we are recalling right here. And I'm just going to read from the podcast today, and I, I kind of want you guys' thoughts. I don't really have thoughts on this. I just thought it was a really cool story that we, we should share with the audience. Quote, in the national championship game for the 2017 season when Tua hit Devontae Smith and Alabama won in walk-off fashion, in the aftermath, I was doing various hits, and Kirby Smart had given his uh, news press conference. And then Kirby stopped by, and we talked briefly. And he was handling it as a consummate pro and gentleman that he is, Davis stated. Obviously disappointed, obviously crestfallen at being that close to a championship and having to get away, and, ha- and he's handling everything just as you expect a coach of his caliber, showing the disappointment but controlling the emotions in front of the media. We finished our chat. He walks out of the room where we were, and there's this big metal locker as he walked out of the room, and there was kind of no one else around me except me, my cameraman, Kirby and whoever was walking with Kirby and he just before he ex- just before he exited the door to head back to the locker room he turns and he punches that metal locker an emphatic statement of an emotional Kirby Smart at that moment I've been in that locker or I've been in that stadium that's Mercedes Benz that he's talking about right there um, yeah those those hallways are very wide those hallways are very loud um, and it's immediately like from one media room scrum maybe 40 yards of emptiness right into the locker room. So you have very little time as a football coach and as a CEO in that moment to show emotion before you walk into a room who, by the way, is already like in rebuild mode. Like coaches at this point have already, like they talk about all the time how far behind the schedule they are. Um, so yeah. So I, Why are you laughing? I was reading chat. Oh, my bad. No, no, the chat's kind of going in on J. Will right now. But That's unfortunate. This, this made me think of a hypothetical thing. If you could, <laughs> hey, you got yours last week, so yeah, I don't want to hear nothing. Yeah, I no, made I'm, you a little self-conscious. No, it's, nah, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, but my question was: if you could be a fly on the wall for any Kirby Smart event, mm-hmm. which one would you want to be? Like, you could say, if I could be in the room and see how he's acting or what he's doing right now at this time, which moment would you pick? Oh, that's a good question. Halftime Rose Bowl. Halftime Rose Bowl. That's when you go. Um, I I don't know. I would probably go yeah, like maybe maybe one of those national championship moments. It's not anything TCU related. That game was such a snooze. Yeah, I think they knew on Tuesday that they were going to beat the shit out of that football team. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean we looked at it on film, we thought the same too. Uh, but no, I I don't I don't know which one, but a lot of them, a lot of them. I, he is a very intriguing figure to me. You guys know this. Yeah, I had two come to mind. Obviously. After you win the first natty, what he's like on the come down after after the celebration's over and everything, and then the other one would be after you hung up the phone with UJ the first time, calling saying they wanted to hire him. Mm. I think those would be the two moments where you're like, what what did he do in that moment? Because obviously those yeah. are big emotion moments that you don't really see. 
he shows emotion on the sidelines. He shows emotion in the locker room with the speeches and everything. But other than that, you don't see it. He's very even keel. I it do. Is, I was going to say it is. It's not necessarily weird. But I would find it hard. I'm a super emotional human being. I would find it hard to reach the pinnacle of my my profession like he has twice. And I've never seen him break down emotionally. And he's had plenty of opportunities. He's been, it's not like he doesn't get asked good questions. He gets probed all the time. Yeah. The closest thing I've ever seen him, like, he's never once like stopping to be like having to like, ho- like hold it together at all, ever. The he's clo- very robotic in those moments. The closest he ever came was after the 2017 Natty when he was talking about Nick Chubb. Yeah. You could hear like his voice crack, but like immediately after that, he just stopped talking. And so that was it. I guess I've only seen him, I've, I, you know, to be honest, since 2019, I haven't, I mean, the, the South Carolina loss, but. I haven't been around him during a, a major loss where it was like, that was ugly, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, it's a different vibe. I get, I get winning Kirby and even then he's perturbed, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't imagine the, the emotion that he had in that moment. A lot like Mark Rick. Title. Huh? Mark Rick. Mark yeah. Rick used to cry after games, dude. Yeah. It was like, you'd be like, oh. Oh, poor coach. No, no. Like he would cry after wins. Like he'd pull your strings? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. He get you. Hey, here's a little uh, here's a little TV note, okay? A little production note on the side. When your host has a Gatorade in his hand and he's drinking it, don't let dead air go. Somebody just talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just I, say something. I intentionally Jesus went to camera. Christ. I intentionally went to camera too for that. Holy actually. shit! You're better than that, both of you. Um, that was fully intentional. <laughs> Hey, how about Georgia's third quarter performances this year before we go? I know it's 55 minutes in. But Georgia's third quarter performances are absolutely insane this year. I saw this stat. I think Cole Kubelik put it out today. They're outscoring opponents 56 to nothing in the third quarter this year. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Ridiculous. They've always been a third quarter team, I feel like, though, because they, they're so good at making adjustments for two reasons. They're good at diagnosing what the other team is trying to do, mm. and then they have the roster to adjust accordingly. You can you can go over the top if you're Georgia. You can run. You can you can fix things. What needs to be fixed most of the time because you have the roster and the coaching staff to do so. Yeah, when you have a lot of football, a lot of talented football players, right? Um, and you have a lot of smart football players. I think that's the other thing about them. Not the other. And not, they haven't reinvented the wheel here, but they recruit at such a high level that they can be selective about the players that they pick. So they're always selecting from high-end football prospects, right? Highly talented football players, but they can be selective. So they're only selecting really smart football players. So in situations like this, they can give them a lot, okay? And they can be adaptive, right? We, we, we came into the game plan with this. We came into the game with this game plan. Okay, we played two quarters. That didn't, that didn't work, or maybe we need to tweak it this way. All right, we're going to give you all of this new information. We got to go beat this in the second half, or we got to go do this in the second half. And then those football players who are both talented and smart, can now absorb that like a sponge. Hey, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you stick around. We got a whole nother hour coming up right now. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button on your way out. I love you.